dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory. I am one of your hosts, Pat Mitchell, and joining me back from spring break, summer break, both both breaks, Adam Walker. All How breaks. are you? These are the breaks. So much has happened since I saw you last. It's been so long. I, don't, I was convinced that this wasn't even going to happen. I thought, boy, Midnight Flicks is... It's gone into the other. Is this the end of uh, Midnight Flix Heroes as we know it? I, I mean, I certainly hope not. I hope this is a this was a cliffhanger. It was um, a cliffhanger that turned into the like uh, Return of the Living Dead. Like our fist came out of the dirt. We went from cliffhanger to like having to revive ourselves back from the dead. Right. Well, I mean, a lot has happened. I had two children. Wow. Um, one of them one of them I aborted, the other one I sent um I sent off to engage in some sort of uh child labor. This break so, has been longer than the pandemic. Conceptually, but not in reality. <laughs> uh but yeah, a lot has happened. How about for you? Nothing. We didn't really do shit. shit. Nothing really transpired there's no nothing new in my life <laughs> just just back at it that's good i mean it's good that you have you have stability you're like my rock oh well that's we're like uh uh bet midler and that other old bag in beaches <laughs> yeah yeah my favorite actress old bag who's the, are you the old bag Sure. I'll Who's be the, the other old bag, bag in Beaches? I'm the oldest one of, of this duo, so I'll be the old bag. Barbara Hershey. Oh, Barbara Hershey, yeah. Why did we forget oh. about her? I know, because we've talked about Barbara Hershey. A midnight a Barbara Hershey movie. Yeah, she's not a staple, but she's uh she was on the she was on the pod in in she's our done. one of our episodes. Found out yesterday that uh, we're going to have to move out of our house. So I, I decided you've got that big old house up there in Fishers or wherever the fuck. So then we're going to come move in with you. Oh, you got plenty of room. Bring it on by. Welcome home, Cotter. Welcome back, <laughs> Cotter. Whatever. 
This is me coming back to Indiana. And I'm gonna I'm gonna take up residence at the at the Mitchells. That sounds lovely. An honorary Mitchell. Ripley will be just thrilled. It, it, that is the makings of a sitcom, right? Like a perfect stranger sort of oh, scenario yeah. where I just like show up to your front doorstep with my with my luggage. Hello, cousin Pat, I'm here. Oh, you're somehow like Lithuanian. <laughs> For some reason, in this incarnation of Meepos. two and a half man boys, <laughs> I am so excited to live with you. Hey, everybody! You remember Balky? Oh, nobody does. Of course, I have. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> Great. Well, then we're bringing it back for 2022 for the five percent of the population that remembers that. You know who does remember Balky? Me. Both of us. Straight from Meepos. I'm a Meepos <laughs> fan guy. <laughs> well, All right. we're somehow going to steer this ship into the second <laughs> half of our uh, season three. I'd like to say we're back with a bang. Um, we're doing 1995's Rumble in the Bronx tonight, which um, JC, uh, Jackie Chan, Graced our pod last season with uh, when we did our police story episode. And uh, this was my choice coming back from the break. And um, I couldn't be more elated to come back to something that was just 90 minutes of uh, pure action fun. It's a good way to start this second half of the season. Yeah. Our, our, our boy, JC. A little, with a little uh, 90s flavor this time. Yeah, yeah, a little bit older, a little bit wiser than he was in Police Story. Um, uh, a lot of a lot of fashion that didn't age well. Oh my! <laughs> oh my! Yes. Uh, well, well, sure, we'll get to that. Um, I'll ask you: Do you want to do Stump the Chump first, or you want to do Off the Top first? Nah, let's. Uh, come on, stump me, hump me, hump me, stump me, hump me, thrill me. Okay. One minute on the clock uh, for those who have forgotten what the Stump the Chump segment is. My colleague here will have one minute to guess the actor based on his filmography, which I'll do a rundown of. I'll probably skip some more obscure shit and stick to stuff that he may or may not know. But he'll have one minute to, uh, to guess who it is. So let's put a minute on the clock. And let me know when you're ready. I'm ready. Okay. And start. Apocalypse Now. Death Wish 2. The Color Purple. Robert Duvall. No. Dream Warriors. Um, School Days. Oh, it's, uh... It's, uh... Red Cowboy Heat. Curtis. Yes, fucking it is Cowboy Curtis. Boys in the Hood. I know I'm fucking drawing a blank on his name. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Yes. Under, under 30 seconds, no doubt. <laughs> Once I got the deep funny cover, enough. all bets were off. Yeah, well, it's funny too. We've mentioned this before how these common, you know, actors and actresses that we know and love, once we, we get in the hot seat with the chumpin', our minds just go blank. Yeah, oh, yeah. I don't want to hear 
I, you know, to protect you and I both, I don't want to hear anything about nobody knows what it's like until you're in the, the chump seat and time is ticking and your partner's just saying movies you're not even listening to anymore because you're just trying to think of the fucking name. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a hot seat for sure. You did great. Uh, okay, so to update the rankings, um, before the break, you were three and two, and I was also three and two. So you upgrade to a four and two record on the season, which is uh, two above five hundred, which is better than what my White Sox have been doing lately. What the fuck? They're just a pile of trash. Um, and yeah, fuck them. Hey, I heard that the Mariners are doing okay though. <laughs> Who? <laughs> the Mariners. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Ooh. <laughs> they still have a team. Um, are they doing well? I didn't. I. I don't, I don't know. I heard last night that they were. That's okay. all I know. On the on the come up, that'd be nice. Yeah, I, I hope uh, Seattle gets the SuperSonics back too. That'd be great for them. Um, yeah. That that's our sports corner. So if we haven't scared off anyone who has an aversion to sports yet, we'll uh, segue. <laughs> Watch it. Yeah, we don't want you anyway. We'll pivot into the off the top segment for um, Rumble in the Bronx, which is uh, a segment where we can just kind of give our initial thoughts about having seen this movie. You have seen it before, yes or no? No. First You've time. never seen this? Well, well, second time, third time, because I had to rewatch it. But when we initially had discussed it, no, never. Interesting. Never seen it. Okay. This is a movie I saw in as a child. So this will be another like water world. It's a, like a beloved childhood movie to me and a movie that you are seeing for the first time. So I don't know, hopefully you like it more than water world, but um, that's a good place to start though. Cause in a lot of ways, this is a kid's movie to me, despite having an R rating. um, A lot of the gags in this, in this film skew to a much younger audience. Um, it feels like a great gateway R-rated movie. Like it's a very soft R and something your dad would like have no qualms showing you. Um, secondly, this is uh, JC's first attempt at making a big splash with American audiences. His, his first quote unquote Hollywood movie was the big brawl in 1980. And he also had a minor role in, in cannonball run, but um, rumble in the Bronx is most vivid to me because I feel like it is his biggest like breakthrough for American audiences. Um, and I think a lot of people might think that rush hour may, may have been that for him as well, but you know, in a lot of ways, uh, rumble in the Bronx walked. So rush hour could run <laughs> Yeah, similarly, but I love both, but this was my entry point into Jackie Chan. And to borrow a more recent, like, cultural triptych of sorts, uh, this is JC single-handedly trying to stop uh, hashtag stop Asian hate, which is just a, a delight, uh, a delight to see. We could have used JC services uh, back in 2020, actually. Um, right. When the hashtag well, stop Asian hate movement was at its full, was at full throat. Well, I'm sure he, he made some commentary on that whole you know I'm sure he did situation that was happening I know didn't he he got some backlash for we discussed it he got some backlash for defending China which what else is he gonna do 
He's, he's, from he's defending their, yeah, he, him coming out and defending their government was not, um, was not, was not beloved by a lot of, <laughs> a lot of the people yeah. that like, like anybody here has any room to talk. <laughs> true. True. I think this was mainly, uh, his fellow countrymen were like, how could you possibly still defend this government that we are all oppressed by? Like, I think it was more like, no, nah, I wouldn't go as far as bootlicking, but, uh, it was more like a Jackie, the man of the people. I can't, we, we can't fathom why you would defend, uh, defend this, this government, uh, oppression. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> Yeah, any of that is 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 boot looking to to yeah. to a degree. You're right. So, but I'm not here to disparage my main man, um, no, JC. What were your thoughts then? Uh, that that's just kind of the notes that I wrote down, having nostalgically watched this uh, for the purposes of this podcast. But I'm interested to hear what you thought. So, we probably discussed this before with Jackie Chan. I'm I'm not as well versed in Jackie Chan's filmography probably as you are, but I know going into seeing any Jack and Ch- Jackie Chan movie that I'm probably more than likely going to enjoy it somewhat. That's just a given. But his filmography is so broad. He yeah. has so many movies. It's it is an intimidating adventure to engage in to try and tackle everything he's done because the man's been making movies since the 70s yeah I think this is the his entry point into American uh, American viewership but he'd been making movies for like 20 plus years up to this point and still to this day a lot of his movies I can't like are, are hard to track down a lot of like the strictly Hong Kong releases are not like easy to find. So it's, it's hard to watch all of his movies. I've tried to watch as many of them as I can. And some of them, I, I legit just cannot track down. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty much it. I I go into it just thinking it's going to be a fun time regardless. You know, some of it's going to be a little more, I guess, wonky than others. I would say have a fun time. I did have a fun time watching this movie, and I will also say, on the other hand, this movie is dumb as shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, that's why I think it's like, it's oddly like, you have to be a, uh, as a child, you filter through the nonsense and take it yeah. at face value. Whereas now, watching it as an adult, um, I don't know. We bring a lot of <laughs> curmudgeon <laughs> lack of, I, I don't know. There's, there's like a lack of a uh, childlike wonder that we bring to the table as adults that only a child could, could unabashedly love this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it does feel if, if, if it doesn't feel like it was written for children, it feels like it was written by children. By children for <laughs> children, yeah. Well, it's weird because there, it's. I mean, it does have an R rating. It's not like it's uh, like a quasi PG thirteen movie, but it, it's. I mean, I guess because there's some f bombs and some very like comedic nudity. That's like not even really. I mean, I don't know. I guess that's why it's getting an R. But it's again a, a movie I saw as a kid, and it was not like seeing 
predator or people being like eviscerated on screen. Like that's it's not yeah. on that level. I would attribute the R rating going to one scene that we will mention that if I'm, my timeline is correct, actually um, foreshadowed a certain notorious scene in Fargo. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I actually have that written down um, as well. That's interesting. Yeah. The, but even the that impl- is all implied. It's none of it is actually like and it's implied in both films. So, sure. So yeah. maybe that might have been. I'm sure that didn't help. (laughs) No, it didn't help. Um, Well, okay. So a plot description. Um, Well, it's interesting on what version you see. Uh, I guess in the English dubbed version, they actually make no reference to the fact that Kyung, Jackie Chan's character, is a policeman. So they actually remove all of that. Um, All of the insinuation that he's a policeman. But anyway... Hong Kong policeman Kyung, played by Jackie Chan, arrives in New York for the wedding of his uncle Bill, a local grocer who recently sold his Bronx store. After a biker gang bursts into the store to wreak havoc, Kyung spends the rest of his vacation basically just kicking ass and taking names. That is the Cliff Notes version of it. It's very much so a Billy Jack does the Bronx. <laughs> right. Very much so like him standing up for his uh like this asian grocery store and and trying to broker peace amongst these like violent gangs or i use the word gang very loosely um but yeah it's it's it reminded me of billy jack a lot um in terms of money made and and all that it had a 13 million dollar budget it grossed about 32.3 million in north america alone had a total of 76 million dollars worldwide so a resounding success um, Roger Ebert gave it three out of four stars. He said, <laughs> I think, I think we'll both agree with him on this quote. Any attempt to defend this movie on a rational ground is futile. Don't tell me about the plot and the dialogue. Don't dwell on the acting. The whole point is Jackie Chan. And much like Fred Astaire and Rogers, he does what he does better than anybody. There's a physical confidence, a grace and elegance to the way he moves. There is humor to the choreography of the fights which are never too gruesome. He's having fun. If we allow ourselves to get in the right frame of mind, so are we. You know, got to hand it to our guy. Nail that's on the kinda head. How, that's kind of how I felt about it as well. So, you know, as they say, broken clocks, right? Twice, twice a day. You know? We like to drag uh, all <laughs> 340 pounds of Roger Ebert from time to time. Um, but he's got the nail on the head. On this one. Um, anything else, little tidbits that you want to throw into it before we get into the details of it? Yeah, I do want to make a commentary about the, I don't know whether it was an intentional suppression of the, the plot d- device that he was a cop. Now, clearly in this ACAB saturated uh, era that we live, well, maybe not so much anymore, but, you know, we're, we're, we're on the. We're, we're trailing on the vapor waves of, of the, the ACAB high that we just came out of. And this is coming from a self-professed, long, lifelong cop hater, okay? But we've talked about this before, about how a lot of that is bandwagon-jumping, uh, disingenuous, just performative horseshit. 
because we like our cop. We like our cop movies. You know, we grew up during a time when when the the buddy cop cop movie cop as a good guy hero that archetype was firmly cemented in our consciousness. So you know, you and I we enjoy watching these cop related movies. Okay, anybody that says they don't, then fuck off. I will say this though. I do like the fact that in this version that we probably watched, the version I watched, the fact that the detail that he's a cop is not implied, I like that better. I like the idea better that he's just some average dude from Hong Kong that's coming over to hang out with his family. Yeah. He has no like he has training, obviously, but he's one of he, you know, he's he's kind of put it away. He hasn't utilized it. He hasn't needed to. So there's really no, nobody knows why he's a Kung Fu master. You know, he's just trying to live his life. So I like that better. I, I it, it, it would have taken away from my enjoyment. It would have taken me out of the movie, I think, if I would have thought the whole time, oh, this guy's a cop. As yeah. opposed to police story where it makes sense and it's fun. I just like the idea better, this fish out of water tale. It kind of, it helps to deliver that, that idea better for me. It know? plays, it plays better. Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? So no, I totally that, agree. I didn't know that he was a cop until after I, you know, read about it after the fact. So yeah. no, there's no, my, <laughs> there's no further indication that he is. There's none in the English dub version. And even in the, the original like Hong Kong release, I, I think there's just like a small a small inclination of it towards the beginning. But even then it's it's like he's just a cop on vacation, but and then it's you know, he's not actually doing any detective work throughout this right. movie. And, yeah, and when when we get into talking about the meat of the movie, uh there's particular aspects of his character that I wanna highlight that again i feel work better with this idea that he's just some average dude yeah so cool <laughs> all right um so let's get into the good the bad and the questionable Once again, and, you know, we've we've come to expect this with his movies, but the fight choreography is just expertly crafted. Like, you know, some of the best fight choreography in the history of of cinema. We get four or five really big fight action set pieces, I would say. The convenience store fight towards the beginning, followed by the back alley brawl. Then there's the parking garage pursuit followed by like a throw down at the warehouse. Um, and it all culminates in this, what I like to call hover boat hysteria towards the end, which is just yeah. unhinged in its conception. Just like 
the ending is is the most childlike in terms of like children legitimately conceptualize the ending of this of this film. Uh, it, it's crazy, and I was going to ask you this in questionable, but we could do it now. Do you okay. uh, do you think that this is the most batshit ending to a movie we've ever had on this show? It certainly ranks very high in that category. I don't mean batshit in terms of like gory or like or like how yeah. dead alive is like that like that's like, bad shit this like is like yeah yeah <laughs> this is different though like <laughs> it, it's <laughs> it plays comedically but then you're like this is the ending of the movie and then the credits roll and you don't even get like a breath it's so it truly, insane. It truly is like they put a child in a meeting room and white did a whiteboard session and they and then we're gonna have a hovercraft. Yeah. And then the man, the bad man's gonna get his pants full and, and yeah, then the there's gonna be a man in a green over. outfit that's flay, uh, flailing his arms, and then there's gonna be a, a rock and roll band. It's Literally, like and they put it all in there, arrowing to each scenario with, <laughs> with and they just ran with it. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. But what is um, what is your favorite uh, fight sequence in this? There's many to choose from. Well, we're gonna circle back to this again, um, but my favorite fight sequence is at the gang clubhouse. <laughs> yeah, mine too. Yeah, yeah. There's there's so much going on during that part. He does he so. does so much in that scene. That's the scene I vividly remember from a kid. I as a kid, I I remember like recreating and visually thinking about that scene where he kicks the one dude into the fridge and he keeps opening the fridge and he's like, he's like popping him in the face and closing the door and then like fighting like 10 other dudes. Like I love, I love that sequence of event. It's the most like Chaplin esque uh, fight sequence that we get here. It's so comedic and funny, but like perfectly choreographed violence. It's so good. Yeah. That's what's great about Jackie Chan movies is, he is able to expertly meld slapstick with fight choreography like no one else. It's like he he was able to channel Buster Keaton yeah. into martial arts seamlessly. Yeah. It's literally I think of I think of Bruce Lee and Buster Keaton rolled up into one with this. Um I as much as I love that that punk clubhouse brawl. I love what it, what he does in the um, in the original convenience store, the first convenience store fight, where he's using something as simple as a jacket, but it's used in such a compelling and effective form of self defense. Like when he's wrapping that jacket around and like you know using it to disarm the dude with the knife, and then he's using it to like grab the dude from behind him. Like he's just whipping essentially a jacket. And using it, it, it's such a like it's it's like mesmerizing what he does with which some with such simple use of literally what's on his body. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, particularly in that scene, 
when he bonks Angelo's head on the pole. Just oh yeah, yeah. That that part right there. I just every time I see it, it he I does just, a lot of misdirection where. Uh, he hits you so many times that you think you're going to get hit the last time, but then he lets you like knock yourself the fuck out. Like that. I love, he does that similarly in the punk warehouse where he keeps walloping that one dude over the head with different bottles. And then he goes to do it again. And the guy just flinches, but he doesn't, he stops. I, I, I love that. That redirection with the weapons is, is so good. And he's such a master at it. Yeah. So what I wanted to say with regards to the commentary that's making about not knowing Hyung's origin story and how it really plays well with this movie is in the beginning, and I feel like this this kind of carries over to most Jackie Chan affairs, is the childlike wonder he has entering New York, which is interesting to me because he's a man coming from Hong Kong. Yeah. But he's just He's just so astonished by New York, you know? Um, and, and, and like I said, that sets it up very well to see what transpires. With me. Just again, going into it thinking, ah, this guy, he's just an average, average guy. What kind of mess are we going to get him in? So I like that aspect about, that's the thing about Jackie Chan movies and with Jackie Chan's characters. Is he's, he always pretty much plays this innocent, person a very innocent childlike individual yeah he is perpetually the hero a very morally pure individual yeah yeah that in much in many ways like billy jack minus all like the (laughs) the pandering basically right and the uh (laughs) the racial misrepresentation (laughs) yeah he is uh he's appropriately uh uh represented in terms of (laughs) in terms of race He's appropriately appropriating. He's appro- He's appropriating appropriately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Un- so. Unlike the uh, unlike a white tiger who who drops Chinaman multiple times in this movie. <laughs> right. Right. That's great. That's again. That's one of those '90s throwbacks that I'm just. We talk about that when we're talking about people dropping an f bomb in movies where yeah. there's party that's just like ah. But that's like ah, uh, but you know what? That's what I love about these movies. Chinaman is such a throwback. I had this discussion with my mom. She she uses Oriental to this day, and I was trying to tell nice. her that we don't use Oriental anymore. And she literally was yeah. like, "Just tell me why it's offensive." And I was like, "I guess I don't really. I I mean, I can't articulate why. We just have." We've grown out of it. <laughs> it's just know. one of those. It's just yeah. It's just one of those shifts in the parlance that it's it, it's indicative of a time gone past. Yeah, where you know, so the step I would guess that stepwise, it's kind of like when you break things down further from homogenizing or creating a monolith of an entire region to like becoming more specified to the people that are in that region and, and being sensitive to their their own particular characteristics as, as an ethnicity or whatever. Yeah. Oriental represents in a lot of ways, what's just the opposite of the West, the Occident. So that's the end. So, you know, I remember using the, the, the phrase Oriental kind of far into, and I got chastised. This is like in my late teens or whatever. 
by somebody I knew about it. And I, and I, this, I had the same reaction. I said, what's the big deal? But yeah, it's, we live in a society now where <laughs> knowing the current acceptable language moves at such light speed that it's hard to keep up anyway. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you could mis, misuse a term or phrase to describe somebody that isn't you at any moment anymore. It's true. So, Whatever. I mean, if, if your mom wants to say Oriental, you know, if, if, it's, if it's coming from a place that is innocent enough, then let her have that. But, no, I, I, I totally did. I, you know, I said you can use Oriental or slant. You know, I, I said just <laughs> multiple. Or Chinaman. Yeah. Go, the, yeah. yeah. Just... <laughs> <laughs> well, that is a good dovetail into what I wanted to also bring up about this movie that I think is 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 nice and refreshing as again given the time that it came out was this movie is trying to break down certain racial barriers barriers and stereotypes by showing the marriage of the uncle and his, his oh movie yeah ride. yeah I, I wish she was not like a caricature but yeah I I, I like that she's auditioning for a. Uh... <laughs> A role in a in a what's that fucking director's name? God damn it! Never mind. I won't be able to think of his name. Tyler Perry. She's like auditioning for a Tyler Perry movie that hasn't even come up yet. It's I like you were gonna say like D.W. Griffiths. Is like whoa! Oh no, god, no, no. <laughs> uh, more of a <laughs> uh, more of a inappropriate modern take on black culture. Yeah. Yeah, it is very, it is very Tyler Perry. Um, but yeah, I, I do like that too. Um, it, you know, it's, it's. I think a lot of this stuff is, is good and bad. It just depends on like what, how you're feeling <laughs> to interpret right. it. But yes, this idea of like the gang, the street gang being like it's a, a basically like a mock UN situation. Like it's, it's crazy. They, when they rob the, the convenience store, we hear Cantonese, Spanish and English all within a span of like two minutes. It's like, this gang is just like so eclectic. Like they went out of their yeah. way to be diverse as shit. Yeah, it is. Uh, and you, especially with the fashion choice, which Man, you know we're going to get into that at some point. I mean, we're smack dab in the 90s. Yeah, <laughs> is it in your good or bad? I don't know. Again, another example of like, could could it could swing either way. It's like, this, this shit is so bad it's good? Or is it just, well, this fashion is so bad it's bad? I don't know. Well, and that, that brings me to, I do have it in the good just because it is bad, but it is a continual theme that we come to with these movies. Once again, we have an appearance of the community theater players. Yeah, we brought this up again. The the community (laughs) theater gang that is just somehow insidiously made its way into all our favorite movies. (laughs) Every, yeah, every late 80s, 90s movies for sure. It's just, as the trajectory of these movies went along, um, the facsimile of creating what these characters actually represent <laughs> became more and more removed from reality. It's literally <laughs> a community. It's literally a community theater of 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 gang 
like role players. Like it's like we're putting on a play. We're gonna be in a gang. Like it's literally like it's so insane. Nobody looks nobody looks like a normal fucking human being. There's this like one random guy. I don't even think he has a name. He's probably like Thug Number Three or whatever. But he's like constantly wearing like like uh, leather, like leather daddy strapped up. From oh, yeah. head to from head to toe, like I don't understand this gang. They have like no actual like. There's like punks, like your traditional sort of street punk. The yeah. head of the gang, who I lovingly like to refer to as Tony Lasagna, I don't know why he's like even the head of the gang. So I know <laughs> he's he's the most so inconspicuous of all of them. <laughs> he is. He looks like the biggest narc. It's like how's this guy? You this guy's your leader. It's yeah. it's a why they they are the Shasta of Road Warrior gangs like they're so <laughs> oh, oh yeah <laughs> the Shasta the the tab <laughs> he Tony is is so much like a D list Sopranos character Tony guy. Lasagna yeah he is yeah <laughs> yeah hey, yeah you go I can you guys just get along <laughs> yeah he's the <laughs> Back to stuff that uh, made me laugh. Um, JC posing and popping zits in the one-way mirror is cheese oh. that only he can pull off. Literally, legitimately, no other actor pulls that scene off. It, it, it is too cheesy and hokey for anybody else. Yeah, I, I had the, the one-way mirror gag is very choice. It's it's so good, and it's a it's a pure Jackie Chan idea from the from the perspective of like. Just this stupid, whimsical, like, <laughs> comedic gag. Yeah. Do you know the name of the... I just called it, like, the horny Pinocchio coat rack, but what is he, like, punching and practicing on? What is that fucking thing? Does that have a name? No, I know it does have a name, and I've heard it before, but I can't recall. But his, so something him, him using... What was that? I just said it. I know it's something pole, I think. Oh, okay. Anyway, that's not the name of it. (laughs) Punching and like, it's the equivalent of like the speed bag in boxing, basically. Only it's multifaceted. Um, But him working that horny Pinocchio coat rack, I fucking, I could watch that all day. I I love watching him work that fucking thing. And it's, you know, I don't think people actually realize the, the level of talent that that takes but it, it is a it is a discipline that us mere mortals will will never fucking exhibit ever. Yeah. Also, who's your favorite punk gang member, and why is it not Angelo? <laughs> right. Uh, that is the question. Man, I mean, Angelo is definitely up there. I. For some reason, the guy. Okay, so let's just get this out of the way because we implied it. There is the scene that we were talking about earlier that prefaces or not prefaces, but foreshadows what happens in Fargo. That is a scene where the leather daddy harness guy gets tossed in the wood chipper. Lance. Lance. Okay. Well, his his partner is the weird Chris Tucker knockoff Slim Jim Latino guy. Yeah. yeah. I guess he's my other one because he's just so ridiculous. He looks like 
he looks like Beaker, you know, Bunsen and Beaker. He from does. The yeah. That's what he looks like, doesn't he? Yeah. No, he <laughs> totally does. I think multiple <laughs> I guess- punk gang members are giving off like fifth element vibes with just like aesthetics and just the over the top like angelo specifically is acting like he's in the fifth element yeah fifth element muppet vibes (laughs) very very much so but yeah let's talk about that scene that dude getting fed into the wood chipper is fucking gnarly because it's such a like a comedic jokey childlike martial arts film (laughs) And it's just yeah. dude going head first into a wood chipper. Like it, it's a, it catches you off guard a little bit. Takes a real dark turn. And then when he, when his, when Beaker comes back with the bag, trash bags full of his. Oh my God. Viscerid, his, his, his gore. He's just turned to dog food. My, one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah. He hauls back like four bags of, of hefty, hefty lance. Like it's what is in the why bags? Would you, he would have been a slurry. Yeah. Why would you now, do that? Why are you bringing back this, this lance slurry? Like what are we doing with <laughs> what is four bags of it? That means he was on his hands and knees in the fucking grass. Like pouring this human sludge into hefty bags so you can bring it back to the punk clubhouse. Exactly. There's no <laughs> rhyme or reason for that whatsoever. I love it, though. It's so good. What other yeah. good do you have? I really love the supermarket exterior. I love the set design of that. But also, this is a question that I have. So it's a slash good question. Why is there a strip club sign pointing to the rear entrance of the from what I've gathered, this is like a multifaceted building with because she lives there. She lives there. It's, it's a grocery a store. And on the back side, probably has multiple entrances for other businesses. But yeah, it's a it's like a, a crazy a crazy storefront. I, I love when it gets when the front the front facing part of it gets pulled off of it. That is such a fun set. Like what a crazy ass that it reminds me of lethal weapon when he's on the, I think it's in lethal weapon four when he's on the toilet. Um, yeah, it's the same gag. She's on the toilet in the front of the fucking building gets torn off. It's essentially a peewee's playhouse. Very much so. Yeah. It just reminds me of peewee's playhouse, but I just, I love, I love that strip club design. Uh, or the sign that's on the outside. It makes no sense. Because the building oh. does not indicate that it's large enough that to house a... No, that much, no, yeah. Unit. Maybe it's in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> only in so, New York. Yeah, right. That's, what, that's only in Vancouver. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did want to mention... So there's a couple more things that you probably have. Uh, so let's see if we can commiserate on this. The bouncy ball truck driver slash scene yeah i, I call them johnny a, freedom yeah that guy sucks <laughs> that's another one of those it's the child whiteboarded this on, yes on, on, in the meeting okay but also, what, like, what a narc <laughs> piece of shit like he he sees like a bunch of gang members running around this parking garage right. looking for somebody and there's clearly a stowaway that's telling you to shut the fuck up and johnny freedom just can't handle it like yeah. So he's over here. 
Right. So that fat asshole gets his just desserts by having Good. Yeah, I hope his business is ruined, which is uh, essentially selling balloons in a Rastafarian American hat. I don't even know what his gimmick is. His fun bouncy ball truck gets tossed over the off, off balls. The side of, oh, I thought yeah. they were balloons. Uh, no, they're balls. Which again, that's just like the setup for just a gag. It's 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 like they took the stereotypes of action movies, the gags, and just decided to throw them into this movie. And no. that's a, what, like, he's just a traveling ball salesman? <laughs> and, like, yeah, it's it's in uh, essentially just like a produce delivery, all old yeah, yeah. produce delivery truck. So, Only in New York. Oh, hey, that's you know, <laughs> you got it all here. So, you really do. <laughs> I the 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 club that Nancy works at is really something. We'll talk about it again. Just this again. I gotta keep coming back to this analogy. It's the 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 six year old whiteboarding the most ridiculous scenarios to happen. So we have here. It's like this beyond the thunder dome meets the gas works and Wayne's World scenario. <laughs> <laughs> where Nancy is just dancing in a cage that is surrounded by a tiger and there is simultaneously live DJs performing with a live band and then we have the, the community theater 90s gang players all getting their yayas out that's, around That's it. their club. That's their go-to. That's their watering yeah. hole. That and that makes complete sense. That might be that might actually low key be my my favorite set in the entire in the entire movie. It, it like what in the wide world of sports is going on there? Like it is literally like like you described like this industrial dance club go go set like go go dancing set. Also, strictly as as two people who book shows, strictly from a, a booking perspective. <laughs> This has got to be like a logistical nightmare. I mean, it's like, okay, we've got the Bengal tiger rented for two hours. Nancy's go-go dance routine is from eight to 10. And then we've got a skinny puppy cover band going on at 11. Like what the fuck is this? What is this venue? It's nuts. Sign me up though. Like I'll be there. What is this? This acid soaked Lollapalooza. We decided <laughs> to engage it. <laughs> I love it. It's fucking. It is one of the wilder. Like I could spend ninety. The movie's ninety minutes. I could have spent ninety minutes in that club, like alone. I wanted to bring up since we did mention you mentioned Skinny Puppy that this dovetails into one of my next points was. Um, Man, late 80s and early 90s was a real good time for industrial music to be the soundtrack for dirtbags partying. Yeah, it's the go-to. Yeah, if you got Tony Lasagna and his gang showing up, you got to have that as the backdrop. So yeah, so we've got a cameo, soundtrack cameo there by Ministry before Kyung comes in to trash the party. <laughs> Very briefly. Of it's course. Like, uh, it fits right it, in. It reminded, it reminded me a lot of Class of 1999 when, you know, Nine Inch Nails makes an appearance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that, that dirtbag party. That's industrial music, the dirtbag uh, soundtrack for the 90s. It was the future music 
that happened for the future that we never got. Industrial music. Future music now. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> now that's industrial music, volume 70. <laughs> now that's what I call Tony Lasagna's dance party. Yeah, it's, it's fucking weird as hell. Um, what else did I have done? Oh, I, we haven't talked about Danny here, but I mean, oh, we eventually had to get to him. But uh, this is in my good. Danny getting roughed up by the by the like... <laughs> I don't know what the hell that thing is. Are they, there are some sort of miscellaneous crime syndicate. I was, I put the mob, but they're not the mob. It's, it's like a miscellaneous crime syndicate, right? Yeah. One again, just, there's no, who knows? There's no real sense to these guys. So Danny getting roughed up by the miscellaneous crime syndicate dude uh, is so much amazing, unintentional comedy. He throws the diamonds in Danny's face and he's like, Oh, <laughs> He put, he like lets out this fucking half-assed wedgie whimper. Like it, this dude is bru- cruising for an atomic wedgie. This this fucking kid, I I could not get enough of him. He was bad in the same way David Mendenhall was, only in like so, like David Mendenhall. You wanted to choke, and then this kid, I just couldn't get enough. I like was like put him in every scene. This is just amazing. Yeah, I was hoping you would bring up uh, our, our our dude. That scene pivots from unintentional comedy to pure comedy, though, because it starts. Danny starts throwing like v- miscellaneous melee weapons at Kyung to use on on that dude yeah. who is basically just Zap Rousedower, the mulleted uh, <laughs> the mulleted crime syndicate guy. <laughs> I fucking love that scene so much. Yeah, when it gets, it goes to, it's just like progressively more dangerous um, paraphernalia. I think he throws like a football in. helmet and then he uses and then, that and then the Zap Roustower dude is like, no, no, no. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> a, a fucking football helmet cracked across your dome and did nothing? Like, is he chunk? What is this? What is going on? Right, and then he eventually throws that, you know, the giant plumbing industrial size plumbing monkey wrench and that's when Mason <laughs> deflate like a child in front of him. Yeah. It's great. Any more good that we could bestow upon this category? Uh well we already talked about the the batshit hovercraft final we can keep talking about it. I, I really love the um when he commandeers the the Lambo and and just has that like weird like decorative serrated sword and he just like he puts his foot up against the sword and puts it out the door and then just like rip shits through that fucking uh, the hovercraft that is such a like imaginatively really cool and and fun scene also lambo dickhead is again dressed like a fifth elements background character i don't know what the (laughs) hell is going what is he fucking what is that guy wearing (laughs) <laughs> yeah his max headroom ass looking outfit Ma- <laughs> <laughs> it is like max headroom meets like it's like like tell me what the nazis would wear if they came to power 300 years from now like it was it's like very like future yeah. gay commandant like what is going on 
Yeah, they 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 awoke Hugo Ball out of his cryogenic slumber. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. So now we live in the year twenty uh, two two thousand two hundred twenty two, and yeah, it's the right pure as. Uh, Folk have to look good. They have to look fashionable for the dance party, <laughs> and and so here we go. So <laughs> only in New yeah. York. <laughs> <laughs> even then, even with like the, th- the the whatever the Fifth Reich at that point, you know, dominating the globe, there's still people in New York that talk like this. Hey, it's fucking Nazis. The Fifth, well, I can't get the anything. fifth Reich. <laughs> I wanted to say, though, with regards to the hovercraft scene, there's so many little little uh, vignettes of wacky sax shit happening. But wacky sax. That's favorite. a good that's a good way to put it. Yeah. One of my favorite things is when the hovercraft is coming for the mother with her baby. Yes. And she just throws the baby and Kyung catches it like a football. And somehow, miraculously, the baby turns into a department store mannequin for about three seconds. It's magic. It's fucking whimsical in in a way. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's so good. There's a Danny has one of the choicest outfits of of 1995. He's got an old school straight build New York Jets hat, and he's got this like Bart Simpson sweatshirt. Like Danny is fucking swagged out this whole he's movie. Fly. Yeah, he's fly. Makes up I mean, for the lack of you know feeling from the waist down, I guess. <laughs> you know, he's got to get it somehow. <laughs> All right. Well, we should probably wrap it up and move on because we're, uh, the time's ticking. So let's move on to the, the, the bad. Let's move what on to the bad. Um, oh, shit. One last good. I, I put this down as my last good. The power pop song that accompanies the stunt montage after the film ends is a fucking ripper. Yeah. I love that. That is like my fucking shit. I looked it up. It's somebody, some band named Ash, and the song is called Kung Fu. Uh, lyrics that could not yes. be appropriated today. But um, it is just a Jackie Chan worship song in a power pop form. It's fucking, that, that song rips. And I love that it ends on a... On, on a stunt montage like hey we did all these stunts and we all got really fucked up like I love that it ended on that it's so cool yeah I did put the I did like that it ended on another cheeky b-roll outtake uh, it, 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 and it's back to back with that with the the head of the crime syndicate getting getting trunked by the fucking hover boat and getting the back of his tuxedo waxed off or whatever the hell. Like it's such a silly ending. And then it just like pivots into wacky power pop stunt montage. It's like, I, I'm like, it's like a fever dream. Um, yeah. Okay. Bad. Yeah. I, while I love the, uh, the culturally diverse relationship, Jason, <laughs> Jackie Chan Stepan is uh, acting in a different fucking movie here. Uh, the, like I already suggested she's like straight out of a tyler perry movie that hasn't happened yet (laughs) i would just want to say just in general and you don't you don't come to this sort of affair for the acting no 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 acting is definitely they're 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 in their own little uh but she's not bad acting it's not like bad like how danny is like what the hell is going on with danny like we need a pulse check on Danny. Is he al- alive in that wheelchair the way he delivers some of those lines? Not like that. Like, I come to expect that with, with dub movies and these sorts of... But she's like legitimately like over the top to where you're like, 
what is who wrote this character like this is this is insanity right well yeah we have we have incidences on both ends we have the, we have extreme overacting and we have extreme underacting yeah no one acting. could find the middle ground here except for tony <laughs> lasagna here. he's he's right in the middle just how yeah, i like so. it right in the acting <laughs> middle spot i don't like my lasagna to be cold in the middle I want it to be al dente, warm. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. The gang slash uh, uh, the cop who poses as the as the taxi driver. Um, <laughs> there's yes. the scene where he's chasing the down bro- the crime the scene. The broke ass Danny Glover. Yeah, the broke ass Danny Glover, the Shasta yeah. of Danny Glover. Uh, <laughs> he comes around the corner. And points his gun at the crime syndicate and just shouts, hey, and then proceeds to get fucking shot. What is that? How is that his fucking, that's his move? (laughs) What is going on? So this this encapsulates what what my next point was going to be is. Everyone in this movie is a fucking idiot. Now, Everyone's like bad at their talk, job. Yeah. We like to talk all the time about cops doing their job badly. Because that's just that is just a general rule of thumb in real life and in movies. So clearly the cops do a terrible job in this. Like they're the worst, shittiest cops. But just in general, everybody's doing a real bad job at everything. Bad except gang members. For, yes, except for Jackie Chan with those moves. That but, is part of there's even there's even an instance of of Jackie doing a bad job because I have in here, why does he believe that those dudes are FBI agents? <laughs> Which leads to him being like, "Don't worry, I called the FBI." And then they show up and everybody other than Jackie's like, "They're not the FBI, dipshit. What are you <laughs> How did you right. believe that? Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yes. Every other aspect, everybody's an idiot. Everybody does a bad job except for the moves. The moves, again, par excellence. You, you come to this movie for the moves. Yeah, I'm just waiting for the, for the next ass kicking. It's You're just yeah. perpetually, who's next on the ass kicking docket? Call their name. Right. Let's go. Let's go. Exactly. Yeah, and it's funny with that scene, too. He says... They're not cops. They're FBI. Well, brother, I hate to break it to you, but <laughs> what do you think the FBI is? <laughs> no, no, no. Don't worry. They're FBI. <laughs> They're FBI. Okay. Another instance of, of bad police work. This is this is a summation of of the of the futility of 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 police. Uh, Jackie runs up during the runaway hovercraft scene. He runs up to the police cruiser to that chief Wiggum looking motherfucker and is like, (laughs) he just yells, do something. And that guy just stares at him and goes like, what? Like (laughs) my hands are tied here. There's like like a runaway hovercraft. And this dude, like, is like, I, I I wasn't, I'm not getting paid to be a police officer. Hey, it's kind of like cops going to a mass shooting at like an elementary school. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> what am I supposed to do? What do you do? expect me to do? Do something. Like, Jackie literally yells, do something. And he's just like, yeah. only in New York. <laughs> just like, like you, Yeah, it's like you evolved all over again. Here we go. An actual bad is, and I insinuated this earlier, 
obviously it's rumble in the Bronx, but this was shot in Vancouver. They did their best to try to hide the mountains, but there are totally mountains that showed up in this movie, um, oh, which, funny. I, I which is that. hilarious in the background. They try to do like these big graffiti set pieces that would hide the mountains in the background, but yeah. the mountains still made it in the movie. So, so oops. Well, actually, so yeah. it, when this was in pre-production, they were going to call it Rumble in Vancouver. And they were, they were like, they just thought Rumble in the Bronx, first of all, is a cooler premise. Second of all, just from a, a titular standpoint, sounds way better than Rumble in Vancouver. Oh, yeah. Definitely rolls off the tongue. Much Rumble in Vancouver is like the curling turn, like a curling uh, master class. <laughs> That's, that doesn't... Yeah, there's just no real good way, I think, to present it in Canada with a, a title that, like, Rumble in Toronto. No, that doesn't work. Rumble in Calgary. No. Rumble in Saskatoon. Well, yeah. You know? <laughs> just really... Yeah, Getting closer. Getting closer. But, yeah, Rumble in the Bronx. They, they definitely they hit the nail on the head with that one, for sure. Any more bad... Man, Nancy is just the worst sister. God, what a bad sister. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Garbage human. You know, they're like bad siblings, though. Danny. Say that again. Oh, I was just to say, you know, she's just out motorbiking on cars at night. Well, her her poor invalid, you know, disabled little brother just hanging at home, holding down the fort. (laughs) Playing a Sega, I think it's a Sega, it's like a portable portable Sega Dreamcast, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah. if you notice, it doesn't have a cartridge in it. So, like, Danny came in Ford Games, which is hilarious. So, he just carries around in his wheelchair satchel a fucking Sega Dreamcast in the hopes that somebody will buy him a game someday. <laughs> so, so, just like a maniac, he's just like fiddling the controls like in his imaginary head. Well, Jackie head like game. Jackie hands him like the, the, the Sega Dreamcast and you can clearly tell in the back there's like no fucking games in it and he's like thanks Jackie maybe one day I can afford to buy a video game like <laughs> yeah, right. yeah shitty ass sister of all the money she's like stealing she can't buy a game for Danny to occupy himself I was gonna reverse it though like she's a shitty sister but He's also like trying to pimp his sister to JC at every turn. Yeah, so I brought that up in the questionable, actually. So well, we can move to questionable if you'd like. Yeah, so let's just talk about that. Where, where do I have it? I have it right. Uh, yeah, right there. Why is Danny trying to fix Kyung up with his stupid sister? Well, <laughs> talk about, you know, shooting your shot and. Uh, Scoring somebody out of your league. I mean, she would be lucky if JC would grace grace her with his presence. Well, it's just so funny because Danny just sits there and talks all this shit about her. And then he's like, oh, but by the way, my sister is a real catch. Yeah, he's always like, she's so pretty. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. right. Come on, dude. You're being creepy. It's weird as hell. Weird. Does your boner even work? No. That's what I wonder. You know? No, it doesn't. Does your boner work? Because if it does, tuck that shit in that cushion, my man. That was actually the second title. It was Rumble in the Bronx and Does Your Boner Work Danny? 
Uh, Answer yeah. no. Um, can you repair a hovercraft with duct tape? Because apparently that's what happened. It's that easy. Not it only did they repair easy. it, but they reinflated it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so off the top, I had, you know, Hong Kong is pretty, pretty rowdy place. It's got a lot of people. There's a lot of people in China. I don't know if anybody needs to be reminded of this. Everyone remembers that. Do you think like Kyung fights all all the time over there? Because I feel like again, this is a fish out of water tale. He comes to like New York, like it's like this grandiose spectacle of a place. He gets to the Bronx and it's like, wow, this is pretty rowdy. Like, do you just not leave your home in Hong Kong? Because pretty sure Hong Kong's quite a rough and tumble, you know, place to be in. So. Well, he had to have, I mean, he had to have practiced kicking ass at some point. You get, you don't just kick right. ass to that degree. No, it's not like you just got touched by the magic kick ass wand. And <laughs> There is some so, sensationalism happening here, like de- degrad- degradizing New York as a city. Like it, it is made out to be that New York is a city where crime happens on every corner at every second. And like. Crazy crime. Well, you know, it did at one point, but hey, this is like right. I think that's right at the cusp of ninety-five. It had been completely, not completely, but it had been reformed well past the like lawless seventies and eighties. It was still in the process at that point. I would say that how many uh, hoverboat massacres were there? <laughs> yeah, was this based off of, of a real life uh, scenario? That was Son of Sam's uh, coup d'état. He uh, he fucking did a, did a hovercraft down down Sixteenth Street or whatever. Yeah, but I would say that the ninety five was. I can't remember exactly when Giuliani uh, took his reign. No, oh, gosh, the Giuliani years were the ones where it really uh, it turbocharged it into the uh, the magnificent. Uh, gentrified fortress that it is now so um yeah thank god for that (laughs) (laughs) now i can go to new york with my family and feel safe now i can go to new york with my dick out and be asked to put it away (laughs) (laughs) lightly but before i would not be asked no okay so i had a question this seems to be a, a continuity goof, aside from the mountains issue. So when we get introduced to Nancy, when she's the... Oh, I meant to mention in the good, too. Uh, motorcycle biker chicks. Biker yeah. chicks. Yeah, this is the height of motorcycle bi- biker chicks. I can't think of another better example. Biker babes. But uh, we get introduced to Nancy as the, the biker babe, and... Uh, if you notice with a close-up on her face, she has not one but two nose ring piercings, and she oh. has a face tattoo, which magically disappears in any uh, any scenes afterwards. So I don't know if that was just some like costume shit she just put on just to really get her jazzed up. It's for literally her. what I thought of. I thought of it as as this community theater's uh, like <laughs> way of dressing up for a, a night of criminal activity 
Yeah, getting pizzazzed for uh, like a professional strength. wrestler. Like she's like right. animal and hawk. She's the third road warrior. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's whack. But. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, what do I got? Oh, I like the 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 um the assemblage of those the criminal syndicate guys, they decide that the best way to clean up a botched heist or whatever, or a deal that got, that went down was to detonate it with a grenade. That's how you clean it up. Huh? That's, that was bonkers to me too. Just like yeah. literally pin pull grenade. And then the main, the main guy, the, the, the pin Gillette looking motherfucker. <laughs> he goes after they just like created all this mayhem he goes cops are all over the place well duh there's lots of <laughs> there's lots of the dumbest shit I've ever heard being being uttered by that Zap Rousdauer and Penn Gillette guy <laughs> <laughs> and then furthermore when they're talking about it the cops are talking about it the, the, mayor, the mayor Wiggum's guy with the broke ass Danny Glover he goes these boys are professionals. Yeah. Oh my God. I had that down and we didn't say anything. I laughed so hard. He was like running down the like the 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 shit sheet of, of crime activity and, was, and came, that was the that's what he deduced. We're working with real professionals here. Yeah, just yeah, it's, what a way to like just That line it, 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 had me in stitches. I was like there's nary a professional to be found on this in this movie. Oh, taking a sledgehammer to put a thumbtack in. Come on, man. <laughs> just wow, just like a real surgeon's precision here. They with, must be real professionals. Yeah, you know, just blow everything up with a hand grenade. They'll never know the difference. Also, that white tiger guy, I don't know if you noticed when they when they got when they went to the golf course, they asked for him or where he was, and they he referred to him as Mister White. So this guy didn't even change his fucking name. His name is uh, White Tiger is his nickname, and his name is literally like Bob White or some shit. <laughs> what Carl the? Tiger? Carl Tiger. <laughs> it should have been him, what? completely nude in like a in a collar, da- like outside of the go go dancing cage. So that Bengal tiger. <laughs> we got Carl yeah. Tiger here tonight. Yeah. Skinny puppy uh. cover night. <laughs> what a wild fucking. What a wild night. My um, other question was, can the frame of a building be completely torn down with some cars and some chains? No, it cannot. But, <laughs> you know, Jackie has such a good line when the build the front of the entire front of this fucking building is is pulled off uh, of it, of its foundation. And he, she's crying on the toilet and he's like, what's the big deal? <laughs> he has the audacity to say, he's like, what's the big deal? I'll pay for everything. Don't worry about it. It's like, what are you paying for? It's this is literally the nine 11 of convenience stores. Right. Well, I had that in the bad because we haven't talked about Elaine and man, Elaine 
just really gets ran through the fucking proverbial ringer. It's crazy that we haven't talked about her, but yeah, she is. I mean, because she's kind of like, I mean, she's a very hapless character. She's very hapless. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. You know, where and it's funny because the way you get introduced to her in the beginning, you get introduced to her as if she's going to be this very shrewd yeah. business person, you know, that she's really, she knows what she wants and she's not going to get one, you know, put over on her. And I'm sure there was a certain intention to that, to, to, to show the, the absurdity of the fact that she goes into this enterprise thinking that, Oh yeah, she, you know, she's, you know, she's going to start off right with this, this grocery store in the Bronx, and and then she just gets like hammered, you know. Just her life gets obliterated by having Kyung introduced to it. Well, I do think like so at the wedding, Kyung just says, just happens to, like uh, just on, as an aside, he's just like, well, you know, I, I'm here for the wedding, and you know, for a couple more weeks, I, I could hand out, I could like lend a hand here or there. And yeah. then she she parlays that into she's talking to the uncle and is like, don't worry, Kyung is going to be here five days a week working full time hours. It's like, what? <laughs> just said I'd help. Yeah. And you yeah, just so fucking you, bulldoze me. <laughs> yeah, just right. I never said anything. Of Way the to sort. sign what me up I, for shit. I never said I was going to do. I'm on vacation, <laughs> bitch. So maybe, you know, that's Why the thing. You, maybe it, it is kind of her own fucking fault because. It is funny, like, the the whole dynamic between Kyung and Elaine is you also think that it's setting it up that this is going to be a romantic interest here, that they're going to be the ones. That nothing nothing follows through with. I, yeah, her character is is very strange in this in this movie. Right. And so she kind of forces him into this role as bodyguard slash slave labor. For the week that he's there on vacation. Yeah. And he's just there trying to have a good time. So he ends up kicking it with the bad girl, which even though Nancy sucks, like, can you blame him? So, and then Elaine's shit gets fucked up because he's just out trying to, you know, get his dick wet. So, and then she tries to manipulate him into feeling bad about it. When She's the worst. Wasn't his... Yeah, it wasn't his... So, I don't know. On the one hand, it's like I feel bad for Elaine, but on the other hand, I'm like, fuck her. Yeah, she does have it coming to her. Like, I just, I feel, I do feel bad to an extent, but also, like you said, fuck her. She, that's the thing. She manipulated us. She, she manipulates him. She manipulates us. What typical woman? Just women. Can't live with them. Can't live with them. <laughs> I'll tell you what. All right. Well, anyways, that's a, that's a good, we had to have, we had to have our discussion by the Wayne. So I'm glad we got that out of the way. Yeah. All right. So, Any more questions? Well, okay, yes. Uh, I'm wondering about there's just the chick hanging out at the gang clubhouse and lingerie there. Did, did yeah, that? saw that. Just I was like, wasn't even phased by it at that point in the movie. Yeah, so there was that. <laughs> she must <laughs> have been Lance's this, girlfriend. Yeah, just hanging in like a Victoria's Secret fucking spread. Just hanging out there. She reminded me of... Um, she reminded me of in from beyond Barbara Crampton's character. <laughs> like, Yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, but like, you know, that's the thing. Barbara Crampton's character, as much as it's awkward, 
she's like hella kinky, so I'm like way into it. So that no, that yeah, one, she's that's... she's Shasta Barbara Barbara Crampton. <laughs> <laughs> I like, yeah, I like that this is a thing now. Um, Seven million for those diamonds. I think even by a '90s bad guy standard, it's kind of chump change to be creating all this fucking mayhem. Is it? I don't city. know. That seems like a lot with inflation. The seven million in '95. Yeah, but even they say at the end, after all the trouble, they're like, this isn't worth it. Fuck it. Just kill them and let's dip. Well, yeah, it's definitely not worth this, uh, all they, that they went through at that point. But I, I also, you know, part of this is, is, is Kyung a fucking, he's not, he's not some diamond enthusiast. He's just throwing a number out there for dumb dick Danny to choke down his fuck hole. <laughs> like, <laughs> Uh, that's true. You're right. Um, who is Ahab the Arab? Just I that thought that just was gets... just like the way they uh, inappropriately test the the mics. <laughs> I don't. Okay, I don't so, know. Yeah, that... I don't know. Yeah, that's just that's just the code code word. So apparently, Ahab that... the Arab is a Ray Stevens song. Really? I just looked it up. No shit. Yeah. Ahab the Arab, a Ray Stevens song from 1962. Well, imagine that. Ray Stevens had a, 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 a racially insensitive ditty. I can't. I, I mean, I just, I couldn't, fa- I can't fathom it. That's, <laughs> that doesn't pass the vibe check of Ray Stevens. For those, for those of you that don't know Ray Stevens, is, he's better known as the, the penman of Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer, which was like one of my favorite songs of all time when I was five years old. Just sitting. It's a holiday treat like none other. I my dad love always that loved song. that streak song. Oh, yes, they call him the oh, streak. Yeah, he always call him the streak. That was a good one, too. Yeah. yeah. A real that was back when joke music was at its fucking the height of. Well, I don't know. I feel like it peaked with Weird Al probably. But this isn't parody Absolutely music. Cool. This is different. It's joke music. Yeah. No, totally, and 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 I was I was I was balls deep in Weird Al at that time too. That was my dude. Uh, so. Did you know that Ray Stevens in two thousand two came out with an album called Osama Yo Mama? <laughs> did do you think did he ever get invited onto the Blue Comedy uh, the Blue Collar Comedy uh, tour? I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. This album cover is him dressed as Uncle Sam pointing forward. It's clearly like a 9-11 knee-jerk reaction album, which is fun. Yeah, no, I got to look that up. That sounds like my shit. Okay, well, um, this is derailed. (laughs) Can't believe. That's it. Can't believe Rumble in the Bronx has diluted (laughs) into this. It's descended into uh, patriotic, jingoistic, nationalistic. Uh, Ray Stevens nine eleven reactionary isms. Yeah, let's move on. Right, that's all we can fucking do. <laughs> <laughs> now that we just deflated our tire, like, like okay. Ray Stevens when he saw the towers fell. Let's move on. <laughs> we gotta Let's move sm- on. Good, does ourselves <laughs> okay. off. Okay.
You are all garbage. This is where it ends, big shot. You got the guns? Drop the gun. The awards and uh, category section of our podcast, starting with the David Mendenhall Award goes to the worst performance. I feel like we're going to be on the same page here. Well, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Danny, right? I mean, there was a lot of bad performances, but yeah, let's just keep it to Danny fits Danny both Ford. criteria, though. He's uh, not only the worst performance, but he's also a child. So Yeah, he's a little shit. So he's a little shit that couldn't act. So there we go. Perfect. And our crown prince. Our crown <laughs> our our crowned crippled prince, Danny. <laughs> Frank Booth Award goes to the character who best belongs in a David Lynch movie. <laughs> pick your pick your poison here. Man, it's funny the way I copy and paste in my notes, I completely forgot to put the correct categories. Oh. Did you Man. not have someone for this? No, I didn't because I completely fucked up. Well, so, let's I see. Do, well, off the off the cuff, then who do you who would you pick? Ah, shit, I don't know, Angelo. No, oh, yeah, Angelo. I had Angelo down. Angelo is a good. That's a good pick. Um, I said the Zap Rousedower henchman, but <laughs> that's a good one too. Yeah, either one, either him or the Pendulet guy. Like, yeah, either either dumb dick henchman. The E.G. Yeah. Daily Secret Admirer Award, uh, which goes to our biggest on-screen crush. Nancy, right? I mean, she's definitely, yeah, she's she is the babe Nancy of, is babing in this. She's she's a babe. Now, honestly, it's between Nancy and Danny, am I right? <laughs> you know, and it's, it's close. <laughs> it's close. I don't know if I've ever told you about my uh, paraplegic fetish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna fuck you till your legs don't work, Danny. Whoa! <laughs> no problem there, Mr. Mitchell. They already don't work. Let's <laughs> <laughs> throw them over your shoulders and go to town. Go to fucking town. They already don't work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know why he's Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Dude, this is how long it's been since we've done this and how bad I fucked this up. I have, for our, our words and categories, I have the Dahmer hardly newer and the Michael Rooker most evil. Damn, throwback, throwback that categories. Was last, that was from last season, right? Yeah. Well, we well, only have okay. one left here. Go ahead. Well, okay. I want to put this in here because I feel like I did a good job with this. Okay, that's fine. Go ahead. This is last year's categories because Sleepy Adam (laughs) (laughs) didn't pull up the curtain. Yeah. Are we doing the recasting couch thing? No. That's all last year. You're you're living in 2021, man. (laughs) It was a good year for me. But I can't I put my recasts. Yes. I think that's a good one. Too. Go All ahead. Right. All right. 
I think like if this recast scenario would have happened, this would have definitely elevated this film. Are you doing a recast of an American version of this movie? Yes. Okay. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Ben Kingsley as White Tiger. <laughs> I don't want. An, I don't want an ass double either. I want <laughs> Ben Kingsley ass out at the end. Ass out. Flea as Angelo. Oh, that's so good. You can see that, right? Yeah, but like, like in um, um, Point Break. Yeah, totally. Tia Carrera as Nancy. Great. Yeah, fantastic. Right. Mm-hmm. The aforementioned Pin Gillette as main <laughs> fucking crime yeah. syndicate guy. Yeah. Uh, I didn't put this in here, but um, saxophone dude from Lost Boys for the one guy. Who? <laughs> Tony Lasagna? The one, the one thug. Oh. What'd you call him? <laughs> Which one? The the, the, the oh, Zap Roustauer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bill Paxton is Tony Lasagna. Bill Paxton, yeah, that's good. Yeah, at least I would think the gang was like, you know, being <laughs> controlled properly. Actually, right, formidable. Led in the right actually. direction. <laughs> some sort <laughs> of leadership. Sense. Yeah, some sort of leadership. All right, so there you go. I, I, because I was, I'm pretty proud of that. And then Jean Claude Van Damme instead of uh, instead of Jackie Chan. No, we got. We got to keep. Well, you got to do like a complete whitewashing of this movie. <laughs> but that that's not, though. I put Tia Carrera as Nancy. That's true. No, why? Anyways. OK, so carry on. What about Danny? Uh, Macaulay Culkin is Danny. <laughs> Macaulay Culkin is Danny. Yeah, that, that would make sense. I like that. OK. Well, there was one last actual cat- uh, a category from... This year's category list, which is the Welcome to the Primetime Bitch Award, which goes to the best one-liner in a movie that is not a one-liner movie. These dubbed movies are not good for the taking. But I do like what Jackie is berating the punk gang. And he says, you could spend the rest of your life beating up people and robbing them. Why lower yourself? Don't you know you're the scum of society? That's a that's a the only thing I pulled from this. Yeah, that was I had kind of a similar. Uh, line where I don't know if he says it in that particular monologue, but where he said, "You're all garbage." Yeah, that's how he addresses them at first. Yeah, yeah, you're all garbage. Yes, that's that's good. I mean, you know, it's a good PSA. It, it, it is though, his Billy Jack moment. It is his Billy Jack moment, and even though you know, like a lot of his movies, it really doesn't imagine that doesn't do a good job of really getting into the socioeconomics of why young people uh, gravitate towards gangs because they come from low-income scenarios and they need some sort of uh, community, even though it doesn't do it. It's like it's like the professional guys cleaning up the mess with the hand grenade. Here. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's... But, it's a, you know, he makes a good point. Despite all those, despite the fact that they're born into those scenarios, they're still garbage. And fuck them. And then and he like he says like oh next time we meet we're not fighting but sharing tea. That's a very yeah. And then the, he says it in Cantonese and the one guy's Tony. What did he say? Like, did he mean that? Did he? What really did he mean, mean that? Yeah. <laughs> that guy really just mean is, what he said. No one ever asked me to drink tea with them. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> wow. He was really moved by it. 
Only in New okay. York. <laughs> okay. The wiki wormhole, our, our trivia section to close out uh, this movie. Body count. Nine. Nine people killed on screen. Four gangsters were killed in a car crash. Lance, who was thrown into, uh, into the wood chipper. And then an unnamed police officer is killed in a car crash. Oh, and along with... Um, Two women killed in a car crash and an unnamed henchman who is knocked into the tree by the, by the, I was going to say motor, <laughs> by the hovercraft. Um, so that's actually more than I thought it was. Did, yeah, that's what, what more than I thought. I thought it was four or five. Yeah. yeah. This is according to like the wiki death count, <laughs> which okay. does a really good job of keeping track of a lot of different movies and their death counts. Um, this has some really fun trivia to pick out my favorite, but um, let's do a rundown of all the injuries. Jackie Chan broke his right ankle while attempting the uh, attempting the scene where he jumps onto the hovercraft. They actually left the the shot in the movie, so that that shot where he's jumping onto the hovercraft, he totally broke his ankle doing that. Um, later in the production of this movie, director Stanley Tong, which if we haven't talked about this, but Stanley Tong is a is a fucking badass. He sprained his ankle completing um, the rest of the movie in crutches. He was the type of director that was like, I'll never ask you to do what I wouldn't do. So he would do some of these stunts um, to like test them out if he like came up with an idea for them. Um, let's see who else. Uh, oh, Fran- Francois Yip uh, broke her leg while filming the scene where she rides a motorbike uh, across the top of the parked cars. Um, She insisted on returning to the set after her leg was plastered at the hospital. Two stunt women also broke their legs during the filming of the motorcycle chase. When Jackie broke his right ankle, they actually had a cast and they, they had like a sock that they painted a shoe on that they pulled over the cast so he could finish (laughs) filming the movie. And you can actually see it in the stunt double montage at the end of the movie, Jackie's pulling up this sock with a shoe that's painted on it over his cast because he had to finish filming the fucking movie with a broken ankle. <laughs> Jeez. Jeez Louise. Crazy. Yeah. The script called for a leap from the top of a parking lot to a fire escape on the floor below on the building across the street. As is his custom, director Stanley Tong attempted the stunt before asking any of the actors to do so. He tried it with the help of a cable harness, but quickly decided, I don't even understand this, it would be safer without the harness. (laughs) Maybe because the harness is like too restricting, like too restricting to perform the jumps. So he performed it in the harness and was like, we got to do it without the harness. This is even more nuts. The landing point was not even visible from the point where you had to, where you, the jump had to begin. So there was tape placed on the takeoff point as a guide. The jump was completed perfectly by Jackie Chan on his first attempt. He couldn't even see where he was landing. All they did was put a piece of tape where he needed to jump from, which is nuts. And to one take Johnny, that is insane. Just fucking crazy. Yeah. I guess it's the type of stunt that you would not want to do multiple times. Right? It's so so terrifying. 
Yeah. The warehouse fight scene alone took 20 days to film because Jackie Chan uh, was was so intent on teaching all the local stunt performers how to fight, quote, Hong Kong style. <laughs> the bottle attack on Kyung greatly worried Jackie as it was going to show more blood than he was accustomed to in his films. And he was concerned parents would be upset that children saw it, which goes back to my original point of this is a children's movie. An R-rated children's movie that parents would show their kids. And even Jackie knew it. He was like, well, this is a lot of blood. I hope kids aren't offended. He knows he's shooting like an R-rated movie. This just goes to the fact that he knew children would be watching this. Yeah. And lastly, uh, we already talked upon this, but a little bit. The original spoken dialogue consisted of all the actors and actresses speaking their native languages most of the time. So in the completely undubbed soundtrack for the Japanese Region 2 DVD release, Jackie is speaking Cantonese. Francois Yip and Morgan Lamb, who play Nancy and Danny, they both speak English the whole time. And all of the original dialogue was intended to be dubbed over in the international and, Kong, and, and Hong Kong markets. New Line Cinema overdubbed it twice, which is why it has that really bad dubbing at times. Um, and they slightly changed some of the original English dialogue as well. Huh. Which is... How about that? Very strange. Any tidbits that you found curious or, or stumble upon? Yeah, I had one. I mostly, you know, let Jesus take the wheel with this one. You being Jesus. My, my personal me, Jesus. Me being Jackie, yeah. Um, this I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, Anita Mui. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing her name, but that was the actress that played Elaine. Was a legendary singer and performer in Asia and was known as the Madonna of Asia. Excuse me? Wow. Right, yeah. You wouldn't have think because she plays so mousy of a role. That doesn't come through at all. No, 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 not at all. And you look at pictures of her um, <clears throat> decked out and her performance attire. And man, she's a real, she's a real scorcher. She's a real honey. I would not yeah. have ever guessed in a million years. Yeah, she's she looked like she was pretty cool. Uh, I say this all in the past tense because, unfortunately, she died really young. She died in 2003. What the hell? Cancer. Very, very um, unfortunate. Damn. Very tragic. But That's she really crazy. She was a, 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 a superstar over there. That's great. Fucking wild. Damn. I know. So there you go. I'm going to look up her music. Yeah, for real. We should use it at the end <laughs> in our in memoriam section. Yeah, that's a good idea because I was having I was struggling mightily with what kind of outro music we're gonna have. So we'll throw in one of her tunes. Whatever that sounds like. Whatever that sounds like. I also want to touch upon the fact that Francois Yip, uh, who played Nancy, this is like one of her first movies, and she would go on to be in a bunch of uh, various martial arts movies, uh, Romeo must die. Um, she's in blade Trinity. She's in, uh, that shitty alien versus predator sequel, uh, Requiem. Um, and then, and, Oh, she's in, uh, the predator from 2018 as well. She, so she did like cult cult movies. Basically this, this was the springboard to a lot of the roles that she would get later on. How about that? Yeah. Um, for her. So let's rate this and get out of here. Come up with a, some iconography for this rating. 
What do we want out of five? What? Danny wheelchairs. Perfect. Good. Um, <laughs> I think I'll, we had flaming wheelchair and in, in, well, it was Manhunter, I believe. Is this our second wheelchair uh, <laughs> iconography? Might be. So. So be it. <laughs> this is this one's not been set ablaze, though. Just a wait, regular. Wait, wait. Yeah. I got a better one. Out of out of five land slurry in garbage bags. There we go. That's better. Out of five slurried lance hefty bags. <laughs> uh, how many hefty bags do you give this? <laughs> I'm going to give it. It's a three with a half full hefty. The other one's just miscellaneous viscera that didn't fit in the other three bags. Yeah. I'll give this a, a tip, of, a notch above it. I'll give it four hefty bags of viscera uh, out of five. I love this movie. Yeah. Still holds up. Just super fun. And we didn't touch upon this, but it's 91 minutes in and out. You're just like rolling. Just like you get the the opening shot of the Statue of Liberty. And it's like, all right, we're off for the races. I'm in New York, kind of kicking ass. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, have you given much thought uh, about what's on the next episode of the second half of season three? I did because, you know, this is um, an unorthodox season for us because typically we just barrel through until right around now and then we take a break and then we come back in October for spooky season. And now we're just going to like, we're going to, it's going to lead right up into October and then carry through with Halloween themed movies. Correct. That is the, so that's the, the first, operation. the first four episodes of the second half of the season will be traditional midnight flicks episodes. And then starting in October, we'll do four Halloween themed movies. Um, and then that'll leave us with, four more episodes after Halloween is over on the back end. So basically we have yeah. four regular episodes, four Halloween episodes, and then four regular episodes to close the second half. Okay. Well, you know, of course my list is very heavy in what would be considered horror themed movies. So I, I have to go kind of, I have to go through the list and be very choosy here. So I feel this is a good follow-up. This is a movie that both you and I have talked at length off the mic. We've needed to discuss this. Let's just get it out of the way. Next week, we're going to talk about Brawl and Cell Block 99. Oh, wow. Our our second uh, Craig Zaylor movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm pretty... Uh, pretty chuffed to talk about that because that movie is a real it's a banger (laughs) it's a heater it's a real banger uh i can't wait Uh, i because i've not watched it since i watched it the first time however long ago but i remember it just being a fantastic time (laughs) yeah there we go. Are we going to do the whole trilogy? We're going to do Dragged Across Across Concrete next year. Who's to tell? Who's to say? 
who's to say? Drive across, across Concrete is a very controversial movie. So, speaking of cops, yeah, uh, cop, cops. Cop it's movie. got canceled Mel Gibson in it. It's very <laughs> much so a, a, like a police brutality movie, almost like a, almost like a pro police brutality movie. It's fucking <laughs> bizarro. It's weird. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's Dragon Cost Concrete is very much so it, it, like influenced by Cobra, like this vigilante rogue police force and how everybody else is villainized uh, by comparison. But yeah, yeah, we'll see, I guess. Excited to do Brawl in Cell Block 99 next week, though. Mm hmm. This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music. Our outro music for this week's episode is brought to you by Anita Mui. Uh, if you're a band looking to submit a song or a listener looking to submit a question, feel free to shoot us an email at midnightflixpod at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at midnightflixpod. We're also on TikTok at, you guessed it, Midnight Flicks Pod. For Adam Walker, I'm Pat Mitchell. See you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>